Good morning. Let's see. I think one of my first uh, encounters with Hope Astoria was during the pandemic. It was to do something like that with Hope Justice to serve our communities. And I was doing BJ runs with Donald. Uh, and that was my first intro. And I was like, this church is doing good things. It cares about the community. So I'm excited about the season of extending hope. Uh, but it also reminds me that during the pandemic, a lot of things of our lives were disrupted. Right? Uh, for me, my love of sports was utterly hanging in the balance. I, more than watching sports, I love playing sports. I love playing team sports. And in the blink of an eye, all the reg leagues in the city that I was part of, all the parks were suddenly closed. And I became a couch potato. Uh, at the very moment, I was morphing to be one with my couch. My friends came with a solution. And they said, what about golf? <laughs> and I was like, is that a sport? How can, can we uh, bond with doing that? So I, I, I took it up. I tried it. And I quickly realized I was terrible at it. I would swing many times. I would go to the range, take trips, watch a lot of YouTube videos. But I just couldn't get the hang of it. My friends would give me tips and lessons, and I would try. And this is when I realized that they were very patient men. I was like, wow, I cannot do this. And the experience for me grew to be more and more frustrating. It wasn't fun. I wasn't getting results. The efforts weren't paying off. And now I, uh, I was like, this is golf. This is what I should be expecting. So I kind of stopped going, right? When we spend time in something, we expect certain results, right? Some payoff for our efforts. And if it doesn't really happen, if we don't see growth or improvement, it's hard to keep going, isn't it? It's the same with prayer. Prayer is hard. It's hard because if you've been Christian for a while, you've been praying on and off all your life, sometimes without any tangible results. You talk to God, you ask God, you share with God. And it's not like you always feel something. You don't get a clear response. You share about your day, but you don't get the sense of empathy that you might get when you share with a friend. There's no immediate payoff. So you kind of stop praying. Some of us may remember, though, that when we were in crisis, Maybe an illness, a financial uh, uncertainty, a relationship crisis. You prayed, and God came through. So you remember, that's, that does happen. God answers prayers. But it still doesn't lead us to a daily, habitual prayer life. It may just remind us that when we face a crisis again, we should pray. So how do we recover a prayer life, a daily, consistent prayer life. And if we've never had one, how do we develop one? We're going to read the passage that is the basis of our series of recovering discipleship, and this is in Acts chapter 2. And if you will follow with me, it reads, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings 
and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're recovering discipleship practices that were disrupted by the pandemic and other things, maybe like relocation, maybe family events have happened, maybe we have found new jobs. And so we've tackled topics like recovering fellowship and koinonia, breaking of bread together, gathering, the importance of being in awe of God's person and his many wonders. And today we're going to talk about prayer, if that wasn't obvious. Um, We're going to focus on a passage that addresses what prayer should be. And we find that in Luke 11. And I picked Luke because he's also the writer of Acts. And Luke Acts, his thought on prayer follows the same thread. So we're going to take this passage and see what he can teach us how to pray like the disciples did in Acts. So I'm going to set the stage a little bit uh, of chapter 11. Jesus is in ministry, deep in ministry. He's going strong. He has a cadre of disciples that he's sending out on missions. Uh, He's feeding thousands with mere loaves and fishes. He's healing the sick and exercising demons. He's raising people from the dead. His ministry is going strong. He's dropping knowledge on the unlearned and dropping mics on the educated. There's much going on here. And Luke 11, in the middle of this, begins by saying that Jesus was praying in a certain place. So one of his disciples comes and and asks him, Lord, teach us to pray. And I find this fascinating. The disciples who had witnessed Jesus do countless of miracles, countless wonders, teaching uh, from, from the scrolls and arguing with the Pharisees, Right? They were partners in this ministry throughout all this time. And the first thing they ask of Jesus is to teach them how to pray. So teach, uh, Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer, something we're very familiar with. Um, and Pastor Denise spoke on it two months ago. So shamelessly, I'm going to skip over the Lord's Prayer uh, with a little pang in my heart. Um, and we're going to go to what Jesus says right after about the nature of prayer. In Luke 11, verses 5 through 13, starts, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
Or if you ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of God. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good. You are in your goodness, Lord. uh, You give us good things. You give us what we ask for. And in those good gifts, you give us the gift of prayer. And we have this direct access to you because of what your son has done. Lord, so through this gift, we ask that you will encounter us today. Will you transform us today? More than that, Lord, will you help us to become a people who pray? In your son's name we pray. Amen. When Pastor Chris asked me whether I would speak on this topic... I was like, prayer? (laughs) Me? (laughs) You got the wrong guy. And so we talked about this, and he's a wise man. He said, you don't always have to speak about things you know. You can speak from your weakness. You can speak from the things that you struggle with. And as much as I am speaking to you about this, I am speaking to myself. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do a number on us on this topic because I struggle with prayer. I find it very difficult. So I found myself woefully inadequate because I find prayer to be highly inefficient. Highly unimmediate, if that's the word, right? Well, what about scripture? Well, scripture you read and you learn something and you feel enlightened. When you gather with others and you fellowship, you can witness the forging of friendships, you know, sharing of ideas, of resources. There's something that is instant about those practices, but prayer, daily and consistent prayer, mm, that's, that's a different thing. So I'm taking this opportunity to grow with you. And if you're taking notes, uh, I'll go through three points. One is the difficulty of prayer. Two is the development of prayer. And three is the efficacy of prayer. Prayer is hard, right, because it feels inefficient. The results are not immediate. Because we're conditioned to have immediate things to our requests, our responses, right? Uh, When you click on Google and you hit search, you get immediate results. When you order food on an app, you'll get it, and you know when to expect your food, right? When our requests go unanswered, and you don't know when to expect an answer, we're not happy. We don't know how to deal with that. I was on a family trip once. We went to the Grand Canyon. And we had hiked, and we had driven for a long time, and we settled down at a hotel, and we were hungry. So I ordered food, right? And the food was taking longer than I had expected. And I was getting hangry. And I was like, okay, what's going on? So I did what any person in a hangry situation would do. I pulled out my phone. I texted the DoorDash rep. I said, where's my food? In that moment, my brother-in-law tapped me on my shoulder and said, Daniel, it's okay. You know, well, we can wait a, bit, a little bit longer. It wasn't a very Christian moment for me. Um, but that did dissipate my hangriness a little bit. But don't we feel that way when we don't get what we want, when we want it? We get a little bit frazzled. And especially when it comes to a felt me like hangriness. Um, hard because it isn't 
inefficient and not immediate. Evening, you have this discussion and sometimes you're like, did that do anything? Did God hear me? But that is the nature of prayer. Prayer is supposed to have a lagging effect. In this illustration that Jesus uses, he says that the friend at first instance asked for help. Three loaves of bread. And he doesn't get it. In that time and culture, there was this ethical demand to provide hospitality for those who were traveling a long time, a long distance. Right? So this wasn't just about bread, about food, but it was about a social demand, right? a sacred duty. He went for help, a real help, and the friend said no. Prayer is not instant. Asking and getting what you want is not immediate. We're conditioned a different way. So prayer is a bit of a chore. You may have a deep need at this moment. Things are happening that are beyond your control. And you're wondering, why has God not answered my prayer? And in your heart, you may think, it's It's not a selfish prayer. It's not undeserved. It's much like those three loaves of bread. Everyone else seems to be getting it, but I'm not. Why not? Why not now? I have a lot of friends with children now. Uh, Some of them are babies. Some of them are toddlers. Some of them are teenagers, actually. And you parents, I'm not a parent myself, but you will attest that communicating with a child is highly inefficient. It is incredibly difficult. They don't understand what you're saying most of the time. And especially if you're talking to a babe, they don't really know. They don't have the cognitive prowess to to understand what you're saying. So it takes time. It takes time to develop communication. It takes repeated requests. I've seen my sister trying to get my nephew to eat or sit still at the dinner table or take a bath at night, and it is not easy. Definitely not efficient, right? But you don't stop asking. In fact, you don't stop pursuing. You don't stop communicating. You continue to reach and speak into their language in the way they understand until they begin to respond, until they begin to understand. Which leads me to the second point, that prayer develops inconsistency. Prayer develops because it persists. It continues. Jesus says of of this friend, he's not going to get what he wants because he's a friend, but because of his impudence. At the refusal of the first request, a friend will stand in the middle of the night at night, continuing to ask, continuing to knock. And it is because of this shamelessness, this impudence, this persistence, that the friend will eventually get up, disturb his entire family, and give him what he's asking for. Not again, not because he's generous, not because he's a friend, not because there's a felt need, but because of his persistence, because he keeps on asking. Have you stopped praying because you haven't gotten 
what you're asking for, and your timing, Jesus would say, keep praying. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. There's a continuity about prayer, right? And this statement, prayer begins with asking, and then it goes into seeking, and then it goes into knocking. And finally, we see that this action about prayer grows. The posture of prayer develops. It builds on itself. The other aspect of the development of prayer is one of relationship. Jesus uses these two illustrations, right? The one is the request from a friend to a friend, right, for three loaves of bread. And then Jesus says, ask and you will receive. But then he uses another illustration that says, that speaks of a request from a son to a father. When we continue to pray, our prayers develop, but our relationship with the father continues and develops as well. You start learning about the one you're speaking to, about his character, about his goodness. You're building on this communication that God has started with you, and you are continuing by praying. When parents speak to a newborn, they babble, right? Uh, They say, goo, goo, gaga. Uh, (laughs) You can tell I have no children, okay? (laughs) They come down and speak the language of the baby. The baby doesn't fully understand what the parents are saying, but they receive, they, they are imprinted as you keep communicating. There's a study that suggests that babble, baby talk, although it sounds very simple, it's accomplishing a lot. The lead of the study says that when the parents are babbling, they're priming the babies to process. To us, sometimes the way that we understand and sometimes not. But when we pray, we're processing our own voice and communicating back to him. And while this process may seem highly inefficient, very simple, It is accomplishing a lot. When you continue to pray, you may not feel instant answers. You may not hear immediate results. But God is still speaking to you. You develop your own prayers. Your own prayers build on themselves. But more importantly, you develop your relationship with the Father. You deepen your knowledge of who he is. And so he's not merely God. He's not just the God that you're speaking to, but he actively becomes your friend and your father. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, uh, is said to have prayed three hours a day. 
I was trying to find this quote, but um, the legend has it that he said, I have so many things to do today that I have to pray three hours every morning. Vi Dietrich, who was a theologian at the time and a housemate of Luther, actually wrote this in a letter to a friend about Martin Luther. There is not a day on which he does not devote at least three hours, the very ones most suitable for work, to prayer. Once I was fortunate to overhear his prayer. Good God, what faith in his words. He speaks with great reverence of one who speaks to his God and with the trust and hope of one who speaks with his father and friend. Man, don't you want that kind of prayer life? A prayer life on, that rests on the reverence of who God is, but also in the hope and trust of a friend and of a father. A prayer that does not depend on results or responses. It doesn't depend on who I am or my faith or my efforts, but on who God is. That comes when you pray. When you persist in prayer, even when you don't get the answers that you want, that you need, even when, those, when that voice is lagging behind, we pray because of who God is. And we must pray. We must continue to pray because prayer works. I'm not saying this only because I see Steph Curry, thank God, every time he hits a shot. And he hits a lot of shots. I'm not saying this because I've heard countless of answered prayers that would fill a book as evidence that when I doubt about the power of prayer, I'm reminded, yeah, prayer works. I say that prayer works because Jesus says it works. He says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. There's no equivocation here. And if Jesus says it, I think it's pretty good authority. You may say, Daniel, I've asked and I've asked, I've sought and sought. I've knocked and knocked and I have not received. I have not found. Doors have not been opened. Doorknobs have not even turned for me. Maybe, maybe I'm not holy enough. Maybe I'm not faithful enough. Maybe I don't believe in the power of prayer. Jesus would disagree. Jesus says prayer does not hinge on your faith or your holiness or your words. Listen to what he's saying. He doesn't say ask with holiness. He doesn't say seek in faith or knock with boldness. He just merely says ask. You know how to ask. Seek. You know how to seek and knock because you know how to knock. It doesn't hinge on your goodness or your efforts, but it completely depends on who God is. Verse 11 says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Prayer works because God your father is good and wants to give you good things. When you don't believe in the power of prayer, the efficacy of your prayer, you're not believing on who God is. Jesus says prayer works just like you as good parents would, uh, would give good things to your children. God, who is even better 
than you will give you the greatest gift. What is the greatest gift? It's a lot of different things for a lot of us, right? For me, it might be a good golf game. Uh, this week, I'm sure a lot of us had the same greatest gift that we could have, right? Something about $1.5 billion. God must have heard a lot of those prayers this week, I'm sure. But better than money, better than friends, better than even family, right? God will give you the greatest gift. I think Jesus is saying that God will give the Holy Spirit to those yes, because if you ask Jesus what the greatest gift could be, the greatest gift you can have is, he would say, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the greatest gift you can have. And God, the Father, is willing to give it to you if you only ask. If God, the Father, can give you the greatest gift, how will he not give you other good gifts? Hope story has a strong culture of prayer, and that's what I felt when I first came to this church. During the pandemic, I developed tinnitus. Not tendonitis, which is a totally different thing. And this is an inside uh, joke with my home group because I had shared this and I needed prayer. And half of them for a long time were praying for my tendonitis <laughs> because they had misheard what I said. But I never developed tendonitis, so I appreciate your prayers. Um, but I developed tinnitus. Uh, and for those who don't know, it's a persistent and continuous ringing of the ear, right? I know a couple of you struggle with it, too, so my heart really goes out to you. And when I pray for my healing, I remember to pray for yours. But when I first suffered from it, boy, did it lead me to prayer, to asking and seeking and knocking for relief, for healing. I've searched out medical help, whatever medication I could take, counseling, diets, exercise, you know, just whatever you need to do to find recovery, right? And one of my first encounters with a lot of you was to pray and for you to intercede on my behalf for this very issue. I still have tinnitus today. But my anxiety, my desperation, my sense of loss, of normalcy that was tied with this issue, man, did that go away. For me, dealing with this is a consistent conversation with God for relief and healing. Sometimes I hear whispers of, well, weird, um, of my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes I hear his reminders of the brokenness and the frailty of the human condition. And he reignites a renewed longing for a new heaven and a new earth, and a commitment to usher that here and now. Sometimes I don't hear anything at all. <clears throat> and sometimes I don't notice it at all. Through this experience, I've found answers to prayers in a deepening knowledge of who God is. A consistent dependence on his goodness I went from, God, I will give anything if you just lift this thing from me, to God, thank you for helping me need you more, want you more, abide in you more, and remember that you are still good. 
you will receive. You will find. You will find doors open, but maybe, just maybe not in the way you thought you would. Some of your needs may be more immediate, right? You may need a job or your car fixed. You may need to make the next payment. Don't stop praying. The Father knows what you need and what you want. And he's eager to give you these good things. It is in the asking, it is in the persisting that you will realize that he's already giving you good things. Though you may not see it now. And it is in prayer that you start realizing what they are. Hopefully you'll find a bit of inspiration to to pray more tonight, tomorrow. But chances are, come Wednesday, you're going to have to recover it again. (laughs) Prayer is hard. Daily prayer, habitual prayer is hard. Yet, It's made easier when we realize it is hard. It is supposed to be hard because it is not instant. It requires to be persistent. But most of all, because it works. And it works because Jesus still prays for us today. When we look back in his life on earth, we know that Jesus led a life of prayer. and light. Right. In Luke 5, verses 15 through 16, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus' fame and ministry had grown, and in a way he found himself with a lot of things to do, a lot of people to heal, a lot of things to teach. Yet, he would often withdraw to desolate places to pray. Something tells me that he did the most when he was praying. So much so that his disciples never asked him, teach us to do miracles. Teach us to argue with the Pharisees or heal the sick and all of these things. They saw the specialness of his prayer life and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Stephen was someone who caught Jesus' prayer life. And Stephen is one of the martyrs, uh, the first martyr of the Christian faith. He was doing marvelous works, full of grace, um, doing wonderful signs. And the Jewish leaders at the time resisted him, set up some false witnesses, and brought him to the Sanhedrin before the chief judge for trial. Stephen preached and he spoke of the fathers of the faith of the Old Testament and how The Jewish leaders, the people have resisted Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And at this, the crowd is incensed and they are ready for an execution. And as he's about to face a stoning, Stephen sees a vision. He says, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And he's stoned. And with his last breath, Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And he falls and dies. Talk about prayer. Talk about intercessory prayer. The prayer of someone who knows who God is. Stephen is able to pray for the very people who are stoning him. Forgive them. 
Do not hold this sin against them. I wonder how he could have done that. Jesus, during his crucifixion, prays a similar prayer. The Son of God, hanging on the cross, he asks the Father, Father, forgive them, but they know not what they do. I think part of Stephen's prayer life developed because he saw or he heard or he read about Jesus' prayer life. But more than that, I think when he sees the vision, Stephen is seeing Jesus interceding for Stephen. Paul in Romans 8 verse 34 writes, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I love that. He's still interceding for us. He's still praying for us. The Old Testament folks had very similar prayers to us. In Genesis, they cry out for a Savior, for a rescue, right? Abraham prays for Ishmael to be his, his uh, inheritance, even though God had other plans. He wants, he wants his offspring to continue, his future plans. When Isaac is born, people around him pray for a wife, right? Jacob, he prays for his offspring to be as numerous as the sand and as the stars in the sky. Hannah prays for her barrenness to end James prays for his territory to be enlarged, for more blessings. The prayers of our Old Testament spiritual ancestors are not very dissimilar from ours. They wanted the same thing. They wanted legacy. They wanted children. They wanted wives, husbands. They wanted blessings. But there was a difference. When the Israelites sinned, they would need to travel and offer an animal sacrifice. Their access to God was mediated by a high priest, and so very limited, yet ours is not. I have no guarantees in life, but just one, that I will continue sinning. And when I sin, it creates separation. When you commit a wrong in a relationship, it creates a a natural separation. And it takes effort to bridge that gap. In the Old Testament, it required a blood sacrifice. Today, it doesn't. It doesn't actually require any effort on our parts. It doesn't require us to read the Bible again or to come to church or to be holier. It doesn't even require us to have more faith. When we sin, though creating a separation we still maintain this direct access to our Father. Jesus closed that gap for us. Jesus is interceding for us because even on our worst days, when we sin and we feel unworthy, Jesus is standing, interceding for us and saying, I advocate for them. They are innocent. They are good. Because I have paid the ransom. In the same way, Jesus looks at Stephen and everyone 
in this unfair trial, unfair outcome, unfair execution, Jesus intercedes and says, Stephen is innocent. Stephen is good. Stephen is mine. He says that about us. Like a good advocate, know that he's not asking for, have mercy on Daniel because he's weak. Have grace on Daniel because he's a sinner. You know what Jesus is interceding for? He's saying, justice, God. I have paid for it. You demanded a blood sacrifice, and I have accomplished it all. Daniel does not need to do anything. So we pray. Because even in our worst days, we have full access to our Father who accepts and listens and gives us good things because of what Jesus has done and continues to do for us. So we pray. Will you pray with me now? Father, we just thank you for who you are. Your name is great above all names. We pray that your goodness and your justice will reign in our midst and remind us that we are both recipients and agents of your cause. We lift up our needs and our desires to you, for we know that you are the Father of light who gives us all good things to those who ask. And we acknowledge our sin that creates true separation. Yet we believe in our intercessor, who is Christ, who mediates our forgiveness. This leads us to forgive others that will result in a community marked by love and reconciliation. And finally, Lord, we pray that you may continue to lead us in paths of righteousness. For it is not in the destination, but in the journey with you that we find the life of goodness, beauty, and love. Thank you, Lord. We'll pray all this in your son's name.